a little bit of a different opening to the podcast today, a season's greetings. This is a, a kind of a Christmassy podcast, don't you think? I do. Hello, Garrett. I will say my favorite uh, Christmas music is kind of old English Christmas carols. Yeah, my, my favorite, honestly, my favorite, aside from Silent Night, because Silent Night can really, that can do a number on you. Yeah, it can. That can that, a, a Silent Night done well can, that can leave you in a puddle in a heap. Uh, but, uh, my, my favorite is that we saw three ships. Yeah. I, I, I don't it. even know yeah. why I love it so much. And the song makes no sense at all. Right. I mean, we, we saw three ships come sailing in a Christmas day. I mean, yeah. And what were in the ships of three on Christmas day. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas no, I love day. the song. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't understand how it is that, that Jesus and Mary are coming on ships. I mean, what? What's going on? And I think that's the question all of our listeners have about English carols. What about Good King Wenceslas? Where do you stand on that? Oh, I love that. I love that song. You, you love Good King Wenceslas? Yeah. No, yeah. I'm saying any of those any of those old What about of... Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring? I love that one as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, what about We Wish You a Merry Christmas? It's fine. Is it because of the figgy pudding part? Yeah, is that no, like I... I've always wondered what figgy pudding is. And then having gone to England and tried what they term pudding to be, uh, I apologize to all of our English listeners. Well, they know. I mean, they know full well what they're so dealing they with. So they know what, they yeah, know what the, figgy pudding is. Well, they is. know, yeah, they know what they're dealing with. I, so uh, Sussex Carol, I love any of those. Uh, those are all my favorites. Um, all those old... You know, 19th century style. Everything that makes you think of a Christmas carol. Yeah, I, so I love Charles Dickens' it, Christmas so Carol. So first of all, it, it is literally one of my favorite books plus plays that exists. Yeah. I mean, Charles Dickens is amazing. If you haven't read Charles Dickens. My understanding is I think he's I think he's pretty good. I think he's going to make it. I think that, that well, he's got you know a what? future. You know what? I, I, I just I feel like he's uh, hanging around with the wrong sort of people. But uh, I mean, no. So yeah, it's obviously tremendous. Is, do you have a, a favorite of movie version of of Christmas Carol? Now this is tough. This is tough because okay. I love George C. Scott. That's my favorite. I, I version. love George C. Scott. Uh, I loved him because of the movie Patton. <laughs> now that. We did have a conversation about both Siege of Jerusalem, the game, and Axis and Allies. Yes. Surprisingly, I liked to watch the movie Patton. Yeah. Which is like a four-hour movie. It's, it's a good two movie. Parts. It's multiple. Uh, Everyone's surprised. Everyone's surprised to hear that that you love that you love Patton. You know what? I think we should have some of our listeners get together with us. We'll have a movie screening. <laughs> yeah. If, well, so 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 that's my favorite. I version. love the George. To me, he is Scrooge. He, he's a great I, I will say. Michael Caine does an amazing job in Muppets. Muppets. Christmas, so Muppets, Muppets Christmas Carol is also Muppets great. Christmas Carol. Obviously, a little bit, a little, little dodgy, as they might say, in the sense that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a sticky cartoon. Sure, but Michael Caine's a pretty good Scrooge, man. He he's, he's, he crushes it. Yeah. Uh, so, m- as a family, we would watch. So the, the George C. Scott version of a Christmas Carol is very dark. Yeah, and, which is how it is in the book, though. Sure, and um, I remember when we first uh, got when I was first married, and for Christmas, every f- growing up, we would watch the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol every Christmas Eve, and then we would read Luke two, and then we would go to bed. 
And so, you know, one of the hardest things is when you get married, as you're trying to meld these these right. traditions together. We now watch Christmas Vacation <laughs> and then go to bed. Yeah, yeah. It seems yeah, yeah. seems Merry, like maybe Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Maybe we maybe we, we have, maybe we haven't made it quite as far as the spiritual depth of your family. <laughs> well, so. Um, so we would watch that, and I remember. So my wife's family, they do a completely different thing. They they like act out all of Luke two, and they would they would play music, and it was this it was this big production, and it was we do whole, that as well. We don't play, I mean we don't play music because none of us have any talents whatsoever, which is already pretty obvious to anyone listening to the podcast. Uh, we have no talents at all as a family, um, and but we do act out the nativity with our kids pretending to be. You know various donkeys and whatnot. Well, so so Becky's family is a very musically talented family, and it would be a full production, and it would be like an hour and a half, and it's like, oh boy, that my goodness. They know there's like sporting events now on Christmas Eve, right? That's, that's kind of my that's kind of my point. There's there's some some Big East basketball at the time. It's like I mean, and what are the odds on those games? We're not going to talk. You know what? <laughs> because it's Christmas, we're not going to talk about this. I've got I've got a pretty good feeling about Villanova this year. No, really? No, I'm no, kidding. I, I don't know why. But so, but uh, but so we. I remember the first time we watched this movie, and my wife's like, "This movie is terrifying," and I'm like, well, I, don't, "I don't know what you're talking about." It's, because of the two little orphans underneath. Yeah, the cloak. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Want and, and, and fear, or whatever. No, doggone it! Now I'm kicking myself. We'll get the crack research staff. Yeah, on. get the crack research staff on. So it. I, so my sister and I, we would reenact it's ignorance, ignorance, and want. Yeah, because yeah yeah, 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 that sounds right. Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? <laughs> um, anyway, my sister and I would we would act this out while we would watch the movie, and you would, would you would act out the Scrooge. Well, we would we would quote it as it was going. Irritated my parents to no end. Because they wanted you to just have a spiritual experience watching. Well, they, yeah, they wanted me to shut up and just watch the show. But it was it was tremendous. I love it. It's my favorite version. And I will say, Muppets is a uh, is. We watched that one as well, and I do enjoy that one very much. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty good when, when Miss Piggy's about to beat him up. Anyway, so Sussex Carol, I do love that. And uh, Dickens <laughs> and Chris, I, 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 love, I love that so much. I feel every time I watch that movie, I feel, uh, boy, I need to be a better person. Every time I watch it. I, I, I love the fact that, that Dickens is able to, I mean, essentially speak, I mean, there's a reason why people are remaking this over and over and over and over and over again and in different forms, you know, like we'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit of a spin on it, do a modern thing on it, but it's all essentially the same thing. It is a story of redemption. And, and frankly, it's, I think it's the reason why, uh, it speaks to us so much is not because we're all the Jacob Marley's, uh, I mean, or we're not because we're all the, the, uh, the uh, uh, you know Bob Cratchits. It's because we're all the we're all the Scrooges, right? That that you can be changed. So I like that. I think uh, I think it's beautiful. Well, so we have uh, an email as it relates to if we go to the Phoebe Draper mailbag as it relates to Christmas. We have from a friend of the show, Officer R. Christmas special question. Give us a lowdown on Christmas traditions and Santa Claus in the colonial days and times of the early church. My understanding is that early New Englanders believed in St. Nicholas. Is he mentioned ever by early saints? I also believe he was originally clothed in green. All right. Well, that's so there you a go. history slash Christmas question. But it seems like they're asking more colonial times 
and then kind of fading into to Mormonism? Is that? Well, I mean, whatever you want to do. If we could start uh, 1530, what they thought. You know and what? Then... Let's, let's start with uh, Jesus' birth. <laughs> uh, originally, it wasn't celebrated, surprisingly. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, surprisingly. I thought Herod celebrated it. Well, Herod celebrated a lot of birthdays, but not that one. Okay. Yeah, and the way he celebrated was murderous. Um, and lecherous, actually, both. I mean... Yeah, he's not a great guy. Herod's not exactly a great guy. Let's yeah, just put that. I mean, it's a it's a it's a controversial take. Here on the Standard of Truth podcast, <laughs> we're, we we are not pro Herod. <laughs> I, I think you should talk with me about that at a production meeting. No, I'm, like I'm we saying, have production meetings. No, the controversial take is that he's a bad guy. That's what. That's I'm what saying. I'm saying. Like yeah. we should have a before you just put our 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 dirty laundry. Oh, out there, I see what you're saying. We should we yeah. should come to, together on that. Yeah, I know. I I, I really put us in jeopardy. I here. feel like I mean, what if I was for the tetrarchy? The way that they break up Herod the Great's kingdom when when he dies is they assign it to three different sons, and that's called the Tetrarchy. Right. And so that that's the government that's going on for most of Jesus's life. I see. Yeah. Yes, that's very and, good. So anyway, uh, let, let me start here by saying this. If you've been listening to our premium content, and if you're looking what you could get Richard and I for Christmas... You can you can get a subscription to the premium content. You can come on the tour. By the way, uh, speaking, actually, that's that probably would be better. Speaking of the tour, we still do have uh, spots available for the Palmyra Kirtland uh, Balmore tour. Uh, we, so uh, today, I attended a uh, a fireside that Garrett was was doing on the translation of the Book of Mormon, and at that fireside was friend of the show Brian. And uh, he was he was there, um, and I, I believe he's the stake is his stake that you were in that you were. Uh, you know, doing I that. honestly don't know. I mean, there seem to be a lot of people who are just there that were actually in that stake. Well, the the, the issue is, is it, they're doing a great job in the stake. They are they're they're putting together uh, people to come in and to give lectures on various gospel topics as part of the church's. Institute course on um, answers to gospel questions. I don't remember the exact name. So, so yeah, it, the, the really, I think the initiative it was just from one of the councilmen's from from Greg, uh, who uh, took the the gospel topics essays and uh, also the let's talk about books that Desert oh, like Book it. has put out that, okay. that cover like expand on those essays, and to get the authors of those books to come and present in a deeper format, um, and then you know they kind of did it. A, a pretty wide call for it, and they had much. They had a lot of great speakers, and then also me. Right, and so I think that part of the reason that there might have been more people there than normal is that in two weeks, uh, Elder Christofferson will be there. Right, and so maybe they were confused and thought that perhaps I think so. I think there were several people who came in and said, "Wait a minute, where's Elder Christofferson?" <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, he's looking really rough. If that's yeah. by the time this airs, this meeting will have already happened. So yes, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, so um, anyway, Brian was was there, and uh, he was he's coming on the tour. He's coming on both, by the way, uh, Palmyra, awesome. and and then also uh, Missouri and, and Nauvoo. And so uh, he came up and introduced himself, and it was he was great. And I the I, I was trying to explain to him the best part about these tours is actually the other people, the people that are on these tours it's the best part by by a lot 
And so when we still have we still have a, a text group with all the people on that on the last tour. We, we where, still regularly communicate. Yeah, it's, it's, they're yeah. absolutely just wonderful and hilarious and and, and great. And so uh, Brian, Brian's wife, whose name I won't mention because I'm pretty sure she doesn't want it. Yeah, mentioned. protect the innocent. Yeah, obviously. She was absolutely lovely. And the thing that was the most lovely about her is how supportive she was of her husband and a podcast that she didn't say, but I saw in her eyes. That she didn't know what you, he was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, she, she knew what he was talking about because he talks about it. Because he's, he's great. Because he's excited. He's yeah. great. But she, I think, feels like my wife as it relates to the podcast. Where it's she fine. was like, she's like, this is, this is very, she couldn't have been more lovely. Yeah. Couldn't have been. But I, I was like, you know what? This reminds me of talking to my wife about this. Yeah, she could take it or leave it. Yeah, sure. Book of Mormon. And Booking how supportive is she that she's still coming on the tour anyway? How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah really. Well, so we actually, one of the fun things it's been, because we're near the end of the year, is quite a few people have received their end of the year Spotify. Oh, like, yeah. yeah their their year in review from Spotify. And I've had multiple people text me or email me the image of their Spotify finals, which has the Standard Truth podcast as, you know, first or second. Now, Alicia sent us hers. Yeah. But was quick to point out that we were behind General Conference, I think was what it was. The general it was General yeah. Conference. We were yeah. offended by it. We were appalled. Yeah, we were like, you know what? We expect our listeners to listen to us more than the prophets. <laughs> and that's all, how it starts. Well, first of all, just, I mean, in fairness, in terms of total hours, there's a lot more standard of truth hours than there are conference that's true so like just on accident yeah. you know she listened to it more yeah you know, so it you know seems what? i'm like, gonna take that back now yeah. i'm actually offended <laughs> yeah no longer friend of the show alicia yeah. <laughs> and another uh friend of the show uh stan he, he in my ward he sent me uh his spotify and he you know very gracious thanks guys for the laughs and everything so i mean it's it's been pretty cool uh if you would have asked me what was this three years ago we started doing this yeah, June, I think our first episode dropped June 5th. I know we didn't start recording it in St. Thomas, but for some reason I feel like we did. Yes. We went on a, a, a trip together as uh, our, our, our group of friends. Production meeting. Yeah, well. For I, tax purposes. For tax purposes, <laughs> it was a produ- it was a work. We literally worked we the whole time. We legitimately did, yeah. Um, but... I feel like that was pretty early on that we recorded a whole bunch of stuff while we well, were there. So I have a, a, a coworker who uh, heard about it from his father-in-law and he wanted to, um, he's like, oh, hey, that's really nice. I'd love to hear it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's good. Um, it's fine. And so uh, I sent him the, so the most popular episode that we have is the martyrdom episodes. I thought it would be Renee's. <laughs> Renee's bonus episode. Yeah, I thought it was Garrett's mom. Like, if you haven't listened to the Garrett's mom bonus episode, you are missing out. So the Martyrdom One, Martyrdom Two, and Martyrdom Bonus are the three most popular episodes by by a lot. You um, you really do a tremendous job of, of explaining everything that's going on and, and what's what's great, as opposed to the normal. Wait, stuff, I was going to say like, I did, so. It's for the like normal three garbage. years ago, once. <laughs> You did it right. So, but the problem the problem is is that we have uh, uh, Lisa, also a friend of the show. Everyone's a friend of the show. Um, that, uh, but Lisa for sure. Dave oh. in Springville, you sir, you know what? You're more than a friend of the show. 
You're a you're brother. A, you're a brother of you're the show. You're a brother of the show. Yeah, <laughs> you're brother of the show. Anyway, so Lisa, who's just wonderful and tremendous, she 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 um, uh, helped us, and and others have helped us to get actual production equipment. Yes, yes. So we went from sounding terrible technically to just sounding terrible in actuality in general yeah just by the content so but the problem with that episode is that it's really really good i talk almost not at all that's how you know but we're doing it on a mic that yeah, i got right. out of a cracker jack box pretty much yeah basically so you know like the free headphones they give out on delta these were the frontier ones. Yeah, where they just rub your ears are going to be raw. If you have a flight longer than an hour and a half, you're going to yeah, be bleeding yeah, out your ears. That's where we're at. Anyway, so I sent him that episode. I'm like, the microphone stunk. But uh, anyway, yeah, so that's that's a super early episode. Some of those are Did some of the best Did you get him to buy us some new microphones? <laughs> no, I don't think he's listened to them yet. Ah, but uh, anyway, so Christmas. Yeah, well, so, <laughs> you know, this is actually has a much... Uh, look, I am not a... a a Christmas historian. Uh, surprisingly, I'm not. Well, you uh, did. You did do uh, Porter Rockwell. I did. We have received several em- emails recently about Porter Rockwell. People want. They want the stories. They don't care if they're true. They just right. want the legend. Right. That's which but, is you know, funny. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's I fine. want you to, even though your podcast is dedicated to truth, I want you to just say things that I want to hear. What's well, a standard of truth? We didn't say necessarily what the standard. Yeah, and we didn't never say that we were going to reach the standard. No. Never. Yeah. Yeah. We could just say kind of truth. But so I think uh, last Christmas or a Christmas ago, you yeah, know, we did we talked Rockwell about uh, him Christmas coming back for the Christmas Joseph. party and showing up there. So I, I want to kind of answer a little bit of, of, of our officer R's, uh, uh, question about the history of it, because it really does affect the expectation. I think the expectation that many Latter-day Saints have is, you know what, I'll bet, I'll bet there's just some sweet and just touching things. If we go back to every Christmas of Joseph Smith's life and he's probably there on the floor with his kids playing with toys and they don't have very much, but him and Emma, you know, found a way to scrape. I think that's what a lot of people think. And so a lot of times people are disappointed when they get into the actual documents and they find that while Christmas is certainly mentioned and it's certainly a special day, it doesn't in any way resemble the way we celebrate Christmas today. And and I mean, not even close. Now let's talk about the reason why. And this is where, you know what, you gotta, you gotta saddle up for this because it's going to take a minute. Um, we're going on a journey. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pack your, pack your saddlebags. Christmas, a six parter. Yeah. (laughs) Martin Luther King day, Christmas, president's day, Christmas. You know what? I'll bet we'd get a lot of downloads if every one of them was named Christmas (laughs) because they'd be looking for the same stories that I'm not going to tell. Um, it's important to understand the origination of Christmas, right? I, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Garrett, tell us. I know. No, one, no one knows. Drop the yeah. truth. So the real, the real message of Christmas is Jesus was born. You know, I would not say that. I mean, as a celebration. Yes. Take the name apart. What is it? Christ, Mass. Okay. So who holds masses? The Catholic Church. Okay. So what do you think happens with the Protestant Reformation when the feast day of Christ Mass is what is celebrated all throughout Europe? 
you might suspect that there is a general negativity surrounding in general. If you listen to on our on our premium podcast, we talk all about this, uh, about uh, the Protestant Reformation and um, the things that led to it. You you either have to pay ten dollars a month or go on a mission. Right. So you know what? It's cheaper to go on a mission. <laughs> if you do the cost benefit analysis. We need everybody to go on a mission and then send us their missionary email address. You get it for free. So, um, the way holidays, I mean, there's some great literature on holidays, especially in the middle ages that, you know, holidays, it's kind of the same way for your job, right? Like, like you're in a job that you don't really like, and it's getting to be more and more of a grind and more and more of a grind and more and more of a grind. And then you get some some paid time off, right? Part of that paid time off is, well, you're not really hating your job as much when you're, you know, on a, on a beach in Florida and it kind of recharges you so that you come back and, you know, now you're able to, you know, you don't hate it quite as much. And then, you know, three weeks later you hate it again, but those, those, those holidays were kind of breaks for the workers. So that's, that's really what a lot of festivities were in, in, the middle ages you had to have regular celebrations not just for religious purposes so that you didn't have peasant revolts <laughs> because you know oh, i'm angry that i i's not paying me anything oh you got ale all right it's okay yes you can pay me nothing i mean as long as i'm drunk and and so during the middle ages these these feast days like easter and christmas they came to be uh, pretty rambunctiously celebrated. Um, usually with you know people going to the theater, uh, singing, lots of revelry, which often, and this is going to come as a surprise to many people, included a great deal of consumption of alcohol. Interesting. Unlike today. No one drinks over the holidays today. But back in the Middle Ages... It was a it was a time of great consumption of the fermented uh, substances. So, you know, I, we could spend a ton of time on this, but one of the problems that the reformers had was that culturally, people had all of these very Catholic celebrations. Even Officer R's question about Saint Nicholas. Well, guess who ain't a fan of saints? The reformers. Not to say that they don't think that the reformers are, are, are people who did good things, but the very idea of the veneration of the saints religiously is totally hateful to them, right? It's, it's a mockery of God. And so there is a real, a real question because if your argument is that the only truth that exists is in the Bible— well then, where in the Bible does it talk about celebrating Christmas? It it doesn't. Now you could at least uh, you know you could probably get something in there for Easter when it's really just you know Passover the, the long tradition of celebrating Easter, but it's not in the Bible. And because these holidays were days of people kind of unwinding, then as now the drunk tanks were full on Christmas days. And so uh Puritans so so look the reformers, especially Calvinist reformers, 
they actually saw Christmas as evil. This is going a different direction than I anticipated. So what direction did you want it if to If I woke up with my head stapled to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised you, than I am right now. You thought I would just be talking about how wonderful Christmas was? I was, I was assuming by now we'd be talking about chestnuts. We'll never get there. That's part eight of Christmas. Um, so look, the, the, the reality is that these Calvinistic reformers, they see anything that smacks of what they would call popery, not, not what you put in the candle warmer to make your house smell good or in the pot. Jeopardy. No, nope. No. Popery meaning the Pope. Any vestiges of Roman Catholicism were an evil that took people away from Jesus. And Calvinists sought to strip religion of anything that wasn't strictly in the Bible and that in any way could lead people away from God. So here you have this Christ Mass, which is a high holy day of the Catholic Church where Catholics are used to celebrating. And by the way, that celebration generally turns into drunken revelry and people visiting prostitutes and the whatnot, right? And so uh, the, the, the reality is these, 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 these Puritans, these, these, these Calvinists, when they come to power in England, they are very antagonistic towards towards Christmas. They probably love, though, that it was on the 25th of December, that it was in no way connected to anything right. pagan. Yeah, so so the fact that it, it originates with a Roman pagan festival, or at least the day that it's being celebrated on, that doesn't help matters. Right? What's, what's the thinking there, do you th- think? That just like, let's bring the pagans and Christians together, let's... I mean, we'll, there, what, what would a historian day, but... say and what would uh, the Catholic Church say would be very different things, right? I think many historians would say... The Romans, uh, the, the the Catholic Church, found a way to to incorporate local beliefs into a large tent Catholicism, and you can either try to convince people who've been celebrating on the twenty fifth of December for two thousand years, worshiping some pagan god, you can either try to convince them. Hey, don't worship anymore. Don't celebrate anymore. Don't have a big party anymore on December 25th. Or, hey, you know what? Instead of like worshiping Saturn, what if we like worship Jesus that day? I mean, for practicality purposes, it's much easier to pull the pull the tablecloth out switcheroo of what you're celebrating than it is to to completely end the celebration. Yeah, culture wins, right? Culture, well, well, here's a good example. You and I both know atheists who celebrate Christmas. Of course. I mean, they give presents to their kids. Why exactly does an atheist give Christmas presents to their child? It's tradition, it's culture, it's what right. the kids want, it's other what, kids it's are It's what their it. kids expect, it's what everyone else does. So even though I don't believe in Jesus at all, I'm celebrating his birth. Well, I mean, honestly, the Feast of the Dedication or Hanukkah is elevated um, by by many people because you don't want Jewish kids to feel kind of left out. And right. Hanukkah is elevated. Hanukkah is not M- one of the high M- holy most holidays. Most Christians, I would say most Christians, believe Hanukkah to be 
the equivalent of Jewish Christmas. Right. Right. It's like the biggest holiday there is for Jews. Right. And it's like 43rd. Now, on the other hand, a lot of Jewish holidays are, they're kind of downers. Well, there's a lot of I mean, tribulation. I mean, like, of- you know. Passover isn't exactly like yeah you're having it's not like symbols. And, there's there's a plate and it's got a lot of bitter things that you've got to eat to remember the tribulation yeah, of I mean, the Israelites. And it's not like Yom Kippur. You're just like you know doing the the shuffle. I mean, it, no, it, you're not doing the shuffle it, on Yom Kippur. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a serious time. Yeah, but I mean Rosh Hashanah, you're probably yeah you get some party. apples and honey. Or it's a new year. It's the seventh month, but it's the it's new year. The new and year? Let's do it. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess, I guess probably uh, Feast of the Tabernacles. You get a little bit of party yeah. there. Well, so yeah, you, you do have to some, live in a tent. Though. Some suit coat. That's a good time. But you have to live in a tent. Sure, Purim's fun. You get noisemakers. That's Esther. That's a good time. Okay, there you go. But there's still some there's some downers. Well, yeah, the, all the Jews were about to be killed, and then Esther saved them. <laughs> So that's kind of a downer. <laughs> well, but at the end, even we, even even Hanukkah, then you know, well, yeah. we, we we kick everyone out of the. Out I've of the always hated. And... I've always hated Antiochus Epiphanes. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, always or Antiochus, depending on how you say it. But yeah. since the city's Antiochus, so, so what would a so that's what a historian would say, or that's what. So well, what so look, the I, I think a, I think historians would say that uh, it the that early Christians before you know they. Uh, are as powerful and as popular as they are, it, it makes sense to try to replace, you know, whether it's being done deliberately or not, it, it, it makes sense to rather than try to stamp out the culture to try to get them to do the, the cultural thing for another reason. Um, and, you know, Latter-day Saints aren't above this. Uh, we, we do this all the time too. I mean, one of the more attractive aspects of our religion to Shintoists and Taoists when they convert is that we go to temples for our ancestors because their religions are based upon ancestor worship. Now, now we are, we're, we are telling them, you know, you don't, you don't burn money anymore to grandpa. We're not doing that. Right. But, of course, we're going to build on that common belief and say, you know what? I love the fact that you're venerating your ancestor. Here's the way that we do it. Well, I did that when, I, when on my mission when I talked with Catholics about the the work for work for the dead, right? Where you can pray for somebody to hopefully get a more speedy yeah. path out of purgatory. And it made sense. Yeah, sure. And so we also believe in work for the dead. Yeah, and so I think I think that it it's both a natural thing and a cultural thing. But if you think about it, trying to get Trying to, to put a stop to something. So a great example of this in Utah, okay? I've heard it more and more and more every year that I've lived in Utah. And that is, let's not celebrate Halloween on Halloween. Have you heard this? Yeah. Why are we doing it like on a Tuesday and our kids have school in the morning and we all have to work. We have to be out with our kids for the whole thing. And they're going to go to parties anyway. And, and, you know, someone's probably handing out some kind of methamphetamine to them in their, in their bags. That's going to cause even more problems. And so you have people say, why, why don't we just say Halloween's always the blank Saturday? And you'll even have communities. You'll have like neighborhoods say, we're only celebrating Halloween on, on the Saturday, the 30th. 
you know, that because that waits on a Saturday, right? You'll have people say that. How much does that actually work? It doesn't. Why doesn't it work? It do, look, it does make a lot more sense to just pick a Saturday and do it on a Saturday, right? Well, I thought this about the Super Bowl for some time. Th- that you want the Super Bowl on a Saturday. I want the Super Bowl on a Saturday, or I want the day I want it on a Sunday, but then everyone gets Monday off. Yeah, but see, if you were actively Jewish, you wouldn't want it on Saturday. It's fair. See, that's what I'm saying. I feel like your anti-Semitism <laughs> has been coming through loud and clear lately. All right, Monday. All right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so. Why doesn't why doesn't a change like that take place? It doesn't take place because even when the whole community is trumpeting all the benefits of it, it's kind of like trying to convince Americans to switch to the metric system. Yeah, we ain't doing it. But there was a big push. Remember when we were kids? It oh, was sure. all metric system yeah. all the time. It was like, this is all that anyone's going to do when we're little. I mean, Angie's even shaking her head in the background. There's she a- remembers the people, you know, well, you've got to know how meters work. There, there's a great... Uh, Nate Bargatze Saturday Night Live bit about the metric system and he's George Washington oh, it's, it's a wonderful it's bit. absolutely yeah. hilarious but yeah, yeah. 5,280 feet yeah that yeah. sounds about yeah, right that sounds about right <laughs> well, well how many how many yards are no one knows <laughs> nobody knows nobody knows how many yards are in a mile <laughs> but the 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 reality is you can't you're not going to get Americans to start measuring their first downs in meters. Oh, no, you the, get out of here there, with that. The, yeah, there's a much... I what, will. There's a couple things that we will do. We will drink soda from liter bottles. That will do. And and that's it. We have, we, have, we, have, we have met you halfway, Europe, and the rest of the world. We drink two liter sodas. But we drink it cold, so how about that? Yeah, we use ice, yeah. But if we were to switch to something else like milk, gallons. Yeah, that's not metric at all. The only metric you get is we'll give you two liters. We'll give you that. And you know what else? Just just back it off. So culture is really difficult to change. And it changes very, very, very slowly. But in England, especially where we're talking about the Puritans, we're talking about early colonies, right? The the in England, you have the rise of these Puritans who are hardcore Calvinists, who are absolutely opposed to what they see as the vestiges of Catholicism in the Anglican Church. So but so then prior to Luther, Christmas is quite the quite the to-do. It's a it is a day of revelry. Okay. Where people will have feasts and they will get drunk. And even during the pre-Luther times, you know, in the in the in the good old days of of non-Luther uh, Catholicism, Catholic commentators would talk about how there needs to be reforms on the feast days because look, I mean, Mardi Gras isn't by accident, right? I mean, the reality, like, you know, the, the, and people don't associate Mardi Gras with the the religious implications of it, right? It's seen right. as like a cultural party day. Right. And in a society where you work seven days a week, okay, there is no there's no weekend. Weekends don't exist, okay? You can you can thank socialists for even getting you an eight hour work day, okay? Um or overtime or OSHA standards or you know thank anything, anything, right? Um Eugene Debs. Eugene Debs. Thank the socialist for well, anything. Yes, Eugene. You, <laughs> anything related to workplace standards. Oh, 
Has anyone read Upton Sinclair? This, this is going completely a different direction than Richard what? thought it would. <laughs> we may not be able to continue because Richard's having oh, a hard time. Like but the socialist for anything. <laughs> Anything related to work standards, okay. not 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 like oh my, not god. like not believing in God and stuff. Okay, well, thanks, but, socialists. <laughs> well, look, so people work and they it's an incredibly brutal schedule. They are working, you know, sun up to sundown every single day, and there are no days off, and there is no upward mobility. Like in, in the United States. Part of the reason why people are willing to work crappy jobs when they're in high school or when they're first in college or when they first get out of college, they're willing to work jobs that they wouldn't otherwise work. Why? Well, A, they need to eat, but B, because they don't anticipate working in it forever, right? Think of the worst job you ever had. It's not this one because you're not paid for it. That's I'm not. I, yeah. I, I'm well aware that you're not. I have been glutting myself on the filthy lucre, you know, and the labors of your hands. My first job was at 12th Avenue Car Wash in uh, Nampa, Idaho. Was it a good job? It was not. Okay. How, why was it a bad job? Well, because it was a car wash and I was, uh, you know, car washes in the winter where we'd, they'd come out and we'd have to yeah, dry, dry the cars and my hands are absolutely frozen and it's, and in the summer it's a, it's a million degrees and I'm being paid $4 an hour. Yeah. And yeah. And so, so brutal. The, the work is, is, is super strenuous. It's not fun. It's not entertaining. Uh, you're not getting paid hardly anything for it. Uh, hours are bad, weather bad, all of that. So, so the job's terrible, but why do you not quit a terrible job immediately? Well, because you're not anticipating that you're going to be working that job for the rest of your life. If you are a serf or peasant in medieval Europe, you're going to be working that job for the rest of your life. And there's no social security. There's no, there's no, oh, I'm retired now. No, the socialists haven't come around yet yeah, to give we, us all of our- we, we, Well, where's FDR? There you yeah, go. Where is he? You know, we, we, we got to, we got to get our check from the government. So none of that exists. And so these feasts and these holy days, they go, they date all the way back to the Roman times. Look, Roman emperors regularly held games and, 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 and gladiatorial shows for the sole purpose of tamping down the frustrations of the lower class. Right. If I can get them excited about watching, you know, a bunch of gladiators kill each other, they won't be as focused on the fact that they don't quite have as much food to eat. They won't be as focused on the fact they're working 12 hour days every single day and that there's no respite. And so these these holidays were seen as and, and even notice the term holiday, right? Holy day. It's, that's where it originates. These are holy days in which these celebrations would take place. Because they are general celebrations that are generally directed towards the poor, as you might imagine, the poor are often uh, the, the least educated and in medieval Europe are by far the least educated. And as we all know, Education tracks very closely with things like crime, 
right? Even, even in today's world, right? You are far more likely, again, I'm not saying that less educated people are all criminals. I'm saying you're far more likely to commit crimes if you aren't educated. Doesn't mean you will, but you can look at a statistic that, that, that someone who's dropped out of high school is much more likely to end up becoming a criminal than someone who has a PhD, at least until Richard gets his PhD. White collar then crime. Sudden, oh, white collar crimes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're engaging in it right now with our filthy lucre. Um, so with the Puritans, you know, are trying to reform England. And look, they've already gone back and forth. I mean, you had Elizabeth, who is Protestant, and, and before her you had Mary, who was Catholic. There's a fear that they could drift back into Catholicism, which leads to the Puritans taking over Parliament and, and the English Civil War. Well, the Puritans win that. The Parliament wins the English Civil War. They chop off the king's head, and they now have the ability to enact a thoroughly, radically Protestant uh, government in England. Well, these Calvinists see all forms of public idolatry and celebration essentially as vices that are examples of a non-Christian nation. So they immediately begin to tamp it down. I mean, you've probably heard, probably, uh, you know, if you go back to high school English, you'll remember that when you leave the Elizabethan era, because Elizabeth is, is dead, mm-hmm. right? that Shakespeare's theater gets shut down for a few years, right? The Globe Theater gets shut down because Puritans see plays as being uh, uh, a, a false thing, something that, that leads to lasciviousness. And that was one of the primary things people did on Christmases in England is everybody went to the theater. You think it's a, if you think it's just an American invention that people go watch movies Christmas afternoon, that goes all the way back to Elizabethan England, that, and even before that, that one of the primary ways of entertainment was you'd have a dinner, and then you would go to the theater. Some, and if it, you were poor, it'd be just some local thing out in the, you know, out in the. Uh, well, so they said, you know, right there, out in the, out in the, out in the, the, the refuse, and um, you would at that theater then begin to sing carols, and party and drink and at least according to puritans then you would start performing other various acts of immorality such as gambling and card playing betting on sports venues um that maybe they didn't say that but i think they would they would have referenced president hinckley's 2005 conference address I, you know what's funny is that calvinists don't hold president hinckley to be as much of a prophet as we do interesting yeah i find that many evangelical christians are less willing to give President Hinckley his due as, as I would have thought. Mm. Anyway, um, why does this matter? It matters because during this same time period is when the American colonies are being settled. The colonies in the South, which are settled by primarily Anglicans who are just trying to get money, right? I mean, well, I'm, I'm not just trying to get money, but... Classic Anglicans, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, the, it's not, they're not trying to get money because they're Anglicans. What I mean is... Religion is obviously a part of their life, but it's not the reason why they're coming to the Americas. The Jamestown colony is not founded so that people can set up God's religious truth. The Massachusetts Bay colony is set up for that, ex- that precise purpose, is that we are going to be this city set on the hill. And so in New England especially, 
you have very muted celebrations of Christmas in the early colonies. In fact, you have laws against the celebration of Christmas in the early colonies. So in, in New England, in America, um, you have uh, this, uh, for instance, here's a law from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like, either by forbearing of labor, you better be working on Christmas, feasting, or any other way, we find five shillings. Okay, so, which is a pretty substantial fine. So not only do you know, not have these governmental-sponsored you know, Christmas tree lightings, you actually have the exact opposite. The celebration of Christmas is the celebration of a pagan holiday. There's all kinds of sins that take place on that day. It's not biblical. It's a Catholic thing. We won't celebrate Christmas. So the question that he asked, what would it be like in the colonies? Well, it would depend on where you were at. If you were anything related to the the New England and many of the middle colonies, it would be against the law for you to celebrate it, or at the very least, incredibly frowned upon. If you were going to do it, it would be you showing that you probably weren't really a saved person, because a saved person wouldn't want to celebrate a Catholic High Holy Day. Yeah, right. That 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 doesn't make sense. My wife did purchase an eight foot uh, menorah that's going blow up menorah going in our yard. This year, I feel like that's going to send mixed messages to our neighborhood. Well, you know, I mean, I feel like they they can celebrate both. Do you also have a giant uh, manger seed that you're planning to put out? We don't. Our neighbor does. It's very nice. Okay. Well, you can just maybe put an arrow to his saying, us I'm just, too. I'm just saying that if uh, my feeling is, is that if Becky had that eight foot blow up in, you know, Maryland in 1690, I feel like people would question whether we were saved. Well, so the... The, the reality is in these New England colonies, Christmas is seen as, it's, it's essentially seen as sinful. It's seen as, first of all, indulging a Catholic tradition that's not biblical. And because people sin when they're celebrating, celebrations of any kind are actually seen as a problem, right? If you celebrate, well, what are you going to do when you celebrate? Well, you're going to drink. And what are you going to do when you drink? Fornicate. I mean, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, so... so that actually, I mean, that actually does kind of make sense. They're not maybe being quite as stuffy as just saying, look, this thing's going to lead to this thing, and so let's just cut it out. Uh, look, Puritans are masters of of logical control, right? That they, they, they believe they're trying to set up the kingdom of God on earth. Yeah, you, show me the kingdom of God where people get drunk and then get in fistfights and stab each other. Yeah, that looks a lot like the... Do you know how that could not happen? What if they didn't get drunk? The the idle hands of the devil workshop, where and, do you think that comes from? And where do they get drunk? They get drunk in this in this frivolity, in the celebration. Exactly, because of the celebration. So if you eliminate the celebration, then you eliminate the ability for people to so profligately sin. So what does that mean? It means that in early America... In the southern colonies, in South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, you, you would more likely find some muted Christmas celebrations, okay? Because Anglicans, members of the, the, the Church of England, 
they're still going to celebrate it, but very much aware that if their celebration is in any way ostentatious, that shows that they're just a bunch of Catholics, you know, and no one wants to be a Catholic. <laughs> I mean, if we have any Catholics listening, it's fine to be a Catholic. I'm saying what they thought. And you could ask any Calvinist right now and they will tell you it's not fine to be a Catholic and they'll, they'll let you know why. Um, so what do you have in the early, earliest colonies is, is hardly any mention of Christmas. You'll have people in their journals. It's against the law. It, so you'll have people in their journals sometimes say things like, you know, Christmas Day today. And that's it. So here's the problem when it comes to, well, how did Latter-day Saints celebrate it? Latter-day Saints almost exclusively in the early days of the church come from where? From the New England portion of, of the, um, the Americas, right? So... You know, Joseph's from Vermont, and 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 well, so so the early so, but then there there's some sort of transition then that happens between the late 1600s and so, so the transition that happens is the transition that Puritans worry about. As long as it's just us and it's everybody who's absolutely concerned about God, we can maintain bans on Christmas. When more and more and more people come. And some of them are Anglicans. I mean, heavens, we've got some Catholics now coming to Boston, right? Well, they all want to celebrate it. And so you actually start to have even greater tensions because there's not as much tension when everybody in the community doesn't want to celebrate it, right? If you, I mean, if you moved into a neighborhood where literally everyone was a Jehovah's Witness, you wouldn't feel a whole lot of stress not turning your light on for Halloween, right? It'd be right. like, yep, sorry, none of us do it. Um, but if you move there, if you move as a Jehovah's Witness to a community that, that competes to have the biggest Halloween decorations, you might feel a little bit of pressure because you're the, the one stick in the mud or whatever. So uh, as more and more people come, Christmas starts to be celebrated. As, I mean, frankly, as Calvinism starts to get watered down a little bit, as the arch Puritanism is forced to give way to practical realities that there's other people that exist <laughs> and that they all have these strong traditions. And then as people start coming from other places, so as you start to get German migrants, right? Well, Luther is a hardcore reformer, but he doesn't believe in the elimination of high holy days, right? He, he, he still thinks that there's a place for being respectful of the saints, right? So Lutherans still have traditions of having a feast on Christmas, you know, these German Lutherans who are coming. As you start getting more and more diverse populations, it's hard to hold the tide of Christmas back. Now, why does that matter? It matters for the saints because almost all of them come from a Congregationalist, which is the Puritan church, a Congregationalist New England tradition, including Joseph Smith. So when you ask, well, I wonder how Joseph Smith's great-great-grandfather would have celebrated Christmas— in jail if he were to try to celebrate it because it was illegal in Massachusetts. It was actually illegal when he got here. It was illegal to celebrate it. Over the course of time, that starts to get muted and there starts to be this focus of, well, what if all we did was sing hymns or, or pray? What if, what if we just prayed all day on Christmas? Is that something we can do to recognize Christmas? If we just pray to, you know, pray to Jesus the whole day? So you start to get this little bit of movement that, of course, is going to it's going to move a little bit further, but we're nowhere near Santa Claus by Joseph Smith's time. By Joseph Smith's time, what do you have? You have people 
who recognize that Christmas is a special day. This is aided by the fact that Anglicans, Church of England people, they still celebrate Christmas. They still celebrate these high holy days. In fact, you could argue that Anglicanism is, and scholars have, this isn't me, don't worry, that Anglicanism is kind of a middle way between Catholicism and Reformed theology from, from Protestantism because you're going to maintain some of the pomp and circumstance. You're going to maintain some of the, you know, the festivities, but you're going to, you're going to uh, depart from some of the theological things like the sale of indulgences. Um, whereas Calvinists, Reformed theology, they are just, if it's Catholic, throw it out. How do I know it's false? Because a Catholic said it. That's how I know. I mean, it's, it, it is just complete and total throwing it out. So it starts to soften over the course of time. And that softening is going to continue as more and more immigration and more and more culture comes to America as Puritanism starts to lose its stranglehold on the Northeast. Christmas is going to start to become more and more celebrated. Again, in Joseph's time, primarily it's just a feast. There's no giving of gifts, uh, again, in very rare instances, but mainly it's we're going to have a big dinner together. We're going to gather together with family and friends. And you have all throughout the uh, the history of early Latter-day Saints that they'll get together. Unlike some hardcore Puritans and other Protestants, they will sing and they will dance. Uh, Latter-day Saints love dancing. So funny, sometimes associate Latter-day Saints with not believing you can dance. Latter-day Saints don't have the ability to dance. That's very different. Uh, we we don't have talent in dancing, but it's not it's not a sin for us to dance. It's just a sin because of how poorly we dance. Uh, you know, dancing around in a circle at every stake dance. Um, but I want I thought maybe I'd share a few uh, things in answer to this from Wilford Woodruff's life because he has such a long life. You get to kind of see the trajectory of the changing celebration of Christmas through his life. How about that? That sounds lovely. Well, at least you say that now because you you want to go home. Um, so, Wilford Woodruff is uh, going to okay. I'm not going to reference every one of these, but let's start in 1841. So Joseph Smith's still alive, right? December 25th, 1841. This is how Wilford Woodruff explains Christmas Day. He writes in his journal, "25th Christmas Day was an interesting day indeed." To the twelve, we were invited to a Christmas supper at Mr. Hiram Kimball's. It was excellent sleighing. Apparently, one of the things they like to do on Christmas is take your your sleigh out and you know go dashing through the snow. I mean, you actually get that quite a bit. That one of the things you do on Christmas is go for an enjoyable sleigh ride. You know, so there you go, dashing through the snow. That's not one of your favorite songs. That's no, it's fine. Yeah, you, you hate it more now, though. Right? I do hate it more now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, I got a horse and a sleigh and carried the wives of the 12 to Mr. Kimball's home again. After our meeting broke up, our company consisted of, of Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, Orson Pratt, Willard Richards, John Taylor, and Wilford Woodruff. All of our wives except Willard Richards who waited upon Sister Hyde. We had an excellent feast before we left Mr. Kimball and made each one of the 12 a present of, so Mr. Kimball made each one of the 12 a present of a lot of land made out a bond and deed for the whole quorum, each lot worth $50, making $600 in all. So this is actually a rare instance of someone giving a gift for Christmas. This is not the norm. Usually there isn't anything. Here, Hiram Kimball is saying, you know what? 
I've got a lot. I'm going to give the 12 all a $50 piece of land. How about that? And I wonder, where's my piece of land? Well, his was uh, lot number four, block 12. Well, that's what that's what Ward Richards is saying, yes. Um, and then he reflects back how a year ago I was in Christmas in London, England, and took dinner with brother and sister Morgan and company um, with brother Kimball, but we are now all again with our family. So so he, he, you have this pretty... Pretty. Uh, that that honestly sounds kind of like a, a really nice normal, Christmas. Yeah. Now that's not a lot of exchanging of gifts. There's no presents. There's no tree. There's no Santa Claus. Other than the land. Yeah. Well, well I mean, we learned this from uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas that the most important gift you can give is real estate. Well, so, <laughs> you know what real estate is. So you 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 know he referenced oh the, uh, last year I spent Christmas in England because he was on his mission. So let's go to what he said about that Christmas. So this is 1840, December 25th, 1840. Christmas Day in London. The church bells throughout the city commenced chanting for meeting at half past 10. We met with the saints at Father uh, Corner's room, uh, George's Road, da, 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 I need to know the address, at 11 o'clock, and we taught the saints some plain principles. So again, what can you do on Christmas? You can you can preach on Christmas. You can, you can go give a sermon on Christmas. That's okay. Um which had a good effect. We took our Christmas dinner with Brother Morgan. He had his family at home. So when you read the it, the dinner is the most British thing I've ever heard of in my life. No, I'm going to read. I'm going to so read this terrible. Yeah, yeah no, it and awful. this is a feast, of course. So everyone's excited for this. Uh, sure. This is coming to you from the people who believe that vinegar is a condiment. <laughs> what are you going to dip on that vinegar? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we had dinner with Brother Morgan. He had his family at home, and the dinner consisted of baked mutton, goose, rabbit pies, <laughs> minced pies, and plum pudding, and bread and cheese, porter, and water. We spent the evening at Mr. Albums and conversing about the things of God, and we returned home after sitting an hour with the family. We retired to rest. This is the first Christmas I ever spent in England. Where I shall be next Christmas Day, the Lord only knows. And what a year to come will bring forth, we cannot tell. But may the Lord preserve my life, my wife and my child, in peace, I pray, and enable the saints to be established in righteousness. Christmas beautiful. is considered the greatest of all days in England. See, That's notice, beautiful. Notice why he's saying that. He is noticing a palpable difference in the way Christmas is celebrated in England as opposed to in America. Because... You know, spoiler alert, the Puritans don't maintain control of the government in England. They get, you know, Cromwell gets, dies and his son gets tossed out of power. And so they go back to a more, a more moderate form of Protestantism, which maintains the celebration of these holy days. So he, as a New Englander growing up where, you know, Christmas is very, very muted, he goes to England where it's bells pealing everywhere and people singing carols. And rabbit pies. And the next thing you know, there's rabbit pies. And and he's like, you know what? If, if we're having rabbit pie, you know, they call me Wilford Rabbit Pie Woodruff. <laughs> that's that's what they call me. Um, so uh, let, let's, let's go to some others. Here's um, a few years later uh, in, um, in Nauvoo. Again, he's going to mark it off as Christmas Day. Wilford usually does. Christmas Day. A large party met at the Nauvoo Mansion and had a splendid dinner. This is December 25th, 1843. So we're only a few months away from the the prophet being murdered, actually. So you're going to go from this bliss to this horror pretty quickly. 
A large party met at the Nauvoo Mansion, had a splendid dinner and supper, and spent a long evening. I was invited by Elder Alexander to meet the Tennessee Saints at his house in company with my own family, uh, and did so and found Brother Smoot and family, and Brother Alexander and family, and Sister Petty and family. We had a social, interesting time together. We had a good feast and spent the evening in conversing about the things of God. So what you really get from the early saints is that, you know, to them, a good Christmas is, 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 is a, you know, a rabbit pie dinner. No, it's it's a, a good Christmas is getting together, having a dinner together with friends. Again, you'll notice it's not even so much family. It's not, oh, I got together with all my cousins and my brothers and my sisters and my aunts. It's, I got together with a bunch of, a bunch of other people. And that's what you see over and over again in, in their descriptions of their Christmas celebrations. It's not just them, their family, it's other people. So let's, let's, let's flash forward quite a bit, actually. Well, maybe, let me do one more that's around the same time. This is right after Joseph is murdered. Well, 1845. Wilford Woodruff at this point is back in England. Okay. And, and he's going to have something pretty, uh, pretty similar, only they're also going to be doing some preaching where they have this big, we don't get to find out exactly what was part of the dinner, but it was a very rich Christmas dinner. Um, and, and they talk about how we all attended a tea meeting and the saints in the music hall were there and three or 400 sat at tables partaking of the bounties of the earth. And after the repast was over, the tables were cleared away and elder Woodruff was chosen chairman of the meeting. And many speeches were made by elders, Woodruff ward headlock and large numbers of the elders of the meeting passed well off and interesting. So it's this idea of getting together and then you kind of make it religious, kind of like we all do, right? Like, Hey, let's open some presents. Hey guys, just remember this is about Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's for me. I try to inject some level of spirituality Christmas morning, but mainly it's can you help me build the Lego? Christmas Eve. So our family does that, where Christmas Eve is kind of the more religious part, and then and then uh, commerce is makes its entrance. I mean, the reality is, kids kids are fine with learning about what the real meaning of Christmas is, and also they're not terribly fine. Now, when does this change take place in America generally? And then you would say even in the church, and you can actually see some of this in Wolford Woodruff's journal. The Santa Claus tradition of having a tree and then presents that come with that really start making inroads in the United States in the 1860s. So right around the time of the American Civil War, and it really picks up in the 1870s. Like Elf on the Shelf, it's one of the, or Pickleball, it's one of those things that you've never heard about in 1850, and by 1870, almost everyone is doing it, right? And it becomes a new type of celebration, and you see this from Wilford Woodruff. I mean, all of his early celebrations are all about adults getting together and eating rabbit pies. <laughs> That's the whole reason why we're getting together, right? Fast forward to December 25th, 1877, and you can see how different things are. Christmas. Spent the day mostly with my family, so not with a giant party of a bunch of other people. I saw the children take their presents from the Christmas trees, because remember back in the day, you would actually put the presents on the trees. instead of under, I mean, it was easier as they got bigger and we got more money to put it under, but it used to be on the trees, but you know, whatever. Met with the children in the afternoon. 
at the 14th Ward Assembly Room who drew their prizes as Sabbath school children, which was quite interesting. So now they're doing like kind of church activities on, on Christmas. It's a little bit different. Um, that's 1877. By 1888, things are still uh, uh, fast forwarding. Uh, in fact, maybe I, did, I think I, yeah, let's do 1888. Um, by 1888, you can see how it's a, it, it, it's still got the dinner aspect of it, but it's presents are all, all, they are the focal point. Christmas morning, all astir this morning, the children are examining their presents. And then he's going to do some service because he is Wilford Woodruff. Brother Wilkin went out to the penitentiary. They took out 50 turkeys to get up a Christmas dinner for the prisoners. Emma had all of her children together except for Nellie and Harry. Uh, so, you, you know, these are some of his, uh, uh, some of the kids there. Uh, guess who is getting those turkey dinners out in the penitentiary? Men who were there in jail for polygamy in 1888. Uh. Ah, and we mentioned polygamy. This is pretty funny. This is from 1886. Christmas morning, warm and pleasant. Emma had knit 13 pairs of mittens in which she put money and candy in for the children in their stocking. Okay, so we've got we got the full nine yards here now. We've got the stockings. We've got, uh, and, and listen to how he describes Christmas morning. Now look, Wilford's getting on in age at this point. There was a great row among the children this morning, and Grandma and Grandpa got $2.50 each in their stocking with other things. So, so Wilford Woodruff is getting things in his stocking now as Grandpa. Um, There's a great time in the street this morning. A band of music uh, is serenading before the house and regular Christmas holiday. We had our dinner at 3 o'clock. Brother Thomas Cottom had all of his children together, 23 grandchildren. There were 20 grown persons at the table and the evening was spent in music and singing. So they're still doing some of the things, but you have this, you have this, um, presents are much more focused. And in fact, in some of his later accounts, he'll talk about how much he's spending on this. So 1888 now, cause he, his kids are all over the place and you know, Again, he has several kids because he also has uh, more than one spouse. Um, he, sa- he says this, November 6th, 1888. I wrote 12 letters today and sent money to the following person, persons as Christmas presents. So here it's direct. This is, this is basically us today. As follows. To Emma, $10. Clara, five, Owen, five, Blanche, five, Alice, five, Vetty, one, Asil and Naoma, $10, Wilfred and Julia, $10. So those are, those are his, his kids. They get $10 and then the grandkids get less. I mean, that seems about right. Yeah, sure. Um, Susan, $5, Lucy, $10. And he just goes on this whole list. And then he says, total Christmas presents today, $131. So he's keeping a list of how much he's spending, which is that's a considerable amount of money at that point, but he's got a lot of kids and he's got a lot of grandkids. So you, you really see this transformation as Latter-day Saints, along with other Americans, start to adopt some of the Dutch and German uh, practices of, you know, having a Christmas tree. I mean, O Tannenbaum, it's, it's a German tradition to have a tree that's decorated. And uh, the idea of Sinterklaas coming a, a, you know, or 
Santa Claus coming is this Dutch tradition that makes rapid inroads. And as you can see why, I mean, for the same reason why some of you said when you first saw an elf on the shelf, I will never, ever, ever in my life do that in my family. And then the next year you had an elf like doing dances in your flower, you know, every morning to try to, you know, give the kids a thrill. Cause that's the thing. It was, it's it fun. Was, it was fun. And the kids loved it. So you get to see this transformation not that that, that Latter-day Saints are affected by the culture they live in as well, where you go from Christmas is illegal. And if you (laughs) practice it, you go to jail to an easing of it to where, well, we'll celebrate it, but we'll celebrate it muted. We'll celebrate it more. And then in the 1870s, it actually starts to shift from being a party day for adults to a presence day for kids. And not that adults still don't party, but it, that's where you get closer to our traditional Christmas celebrations. That's probably a lot more about Christmas than anyone cared to learn about. Richard, was it more than what you wanted? Well, certainly was, but I, I enjoyed 13 to 17% of it. I, I, I loved it, actually. It was very interesting. Yeah, I, I think the parts where we were talking about rabbit pies was probably the Wilford best rabbit pie. Wilford rabbit pie Woodruff, <laughs> just like Willard... 13 guns on me and counting Richards. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. We hope everyone has a Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Uh, if we didn't feel like people listened or enjoyed it, we would have stopped it yesterday, uh, uh, and, and never to do it again. So we're grateful that there are people who support us. So we hope you all have a Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the standard of truth podcast hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.